So, so friends, uh, this morning we had this Passover meal. Some of you guys came, came back for more. Well done. And, uh, and, and we started off by saying this, that when Jesus wanted to explain the meaning of his death, he didn't give us a sermon. He didn't give us a teaching. As a matter of fact, you can, you can on one page in the Bible, literally fit all the, uh, the different things that Jesus said about why he had to die. We've got very little on it. But what he primarily gave us is a meal. Not a lecture, not a book, not a sermon, but a meal to explain what Easter is all about, what the cross is all about. And it starts off super mysteriously. I'm not sure if you guys can remember. We're going to read a lot of scripture, so um, don't you worry about that. But I'm just going to reference a few passages. So there's this strange uh, passage in, in, in uh, a couple of the Gospels where he sends James and John ahead to prepare this meal. Now, this is what is considered the Last Supper. Now, I always thought that, geez, these guys really, you know, talk about getting two men to do a very easy job. How difficult is it to prep communion? I mean, did this, did this take James and John the whole day to, um, to get? But uh, as you guys saw this morning, the Passover meal is quite a big deal. So it, 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 it takes a lot more effort than, than, just, than just that. But the other thing that is interesting is he says, you guys will go into town and then you will see a guy carrying water and you must follow the guy carrying water and he will lead you to a room. And in that room, you have to go up to the upper room and there you can set everything up. I mean, that is sort of spy movie vibes, right? Why is, he, why is he doing that? And it's really not that great a miracle. I mean, considering, you know, raising Lazarus, uh, you know, doing cool things with storms, that's, that's pretty cool. But knowing that there's going to be a guy with water and he's going to lead you to an upper room, it, it is a strange miracle, all right? So Jesus is not just trying to impress his disciples. He knows that that the religious authorities are about to arrest him. And he wants to have this meal with his disciples one last time. And, 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 and he desperately wants them to, to understand the meaning and significance of his suffering and what is about to happen. And the other problem is that he, he's, he's, his inner circle has already been infiltrated. So Judas is there. If Judas knows their location, then he's going to go call the, the religious authorities and they're going to arrest him there because they want to arrest him away from the crowds. Are you guys with me? Um, and so, so Jesus sets up this mysterious sort of uh, spy vibes so that he can have this meal with them. As a matter of fact, he says, um, I, I have earnestly desired to have this Passover meal with you. It is just so emotional. And what follows is obviously super important. The meal, the Passover meal is super, super significant. Why a meal, though? Why a meal? Why is that the most important thing that Jesus can sort of hatch his, his theology on what he's about to do on the cross? Now, we can talk about the Passover meal that stems from, from, from Egypt, right? You guys know this, the, the story of the Passover. That's what we celebrated this morning. Um, the fact that God liberated these people from slavery out of Egypt and, and they are now a, a free people. And sort of the central part of that act is the Passover meal. You guys know the story, the lamb, the doorposts, everything associated with it. I do not want to go into that story that much. I'm going to assume that you guys are familiar with that, that story somewhat. I want us to stretch a little bit, to go a little bit further in terms of meals. Do you know 
that there's a meal in, at the very beginning of, of the Bible. In Genesis 2, verse 9, we read this. And out of the ground the land made to spring up every tree that is pleasing in, in sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And then God commands mankind to, to eat from all the trees in the garden. They are invited to a meal. They are invited especially to eat from what is called the tree of life. So it is only the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they are not allowed to eat from. But can you see that from the very beginning, mankind is invited into this massive meal in the Garden of Eden. And somehow when we eat this from this tree of life, somehow when we eat from in this garden, we are in proximity of the author of life itself. Somehow, when we eat from the tree of life, we ingest God's own life and goodness. It is super mysterious. I know to a bunch of moderns like us, it's like, what? This, this doesn't make a lot of sense. The Bible is super strange. It is super mysterious, and it doesn't really care to explain it. <laughs> doesn't really give you much more. You, you can't go find, okay, but where do you explain just a little bit more about the tree of life? No, you have to look at the whole Bible and you just have to be satisfied with what is given to us. But can you understand how this tree of life is symbolic of eating from God himself, from ingesting the divine life, the goodness, everything in it. It is the most important meal, actually, in all of scripture. But tragedy strikes we read that mankind chose the wrong kind of meal. They ate from the wrong tree, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, again, that might sound like God is petty. Why is he just saying you can eat from all the trees, just don't eat from that tree? I remember, I've shared this many times before, but my dad was tiling the house one day, and he told me, don't step on that tile because it's still wet. And I just stood and looked at that tile, and it just looked so attractive. It's just so steppable. And eventually I couldn't help myself and I just stepped on it and was like, oh, that is the best step of my life. Um, it was out of my way. It wasn't even like I, like I, I it was effort to step on that tile. And that, that, that reveals something about the human psyche, right? Or maybe it's just me. Um, but the knowledge, the, 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 eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what the Bible understands from it, again, super mysterious, but what we think it is, is it is when we define good and evil for ourselves. We define reality. We define good and evil on our own terms. We're not going to over-explain this, what, is the, the, what happened at the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it is where we reject God's goodness, we reject this divine life, and we say, you know what, I'm going to put myself in the center, and I will decide what is right and wrong for me. If you want to see an example of it, just look at pretty much every Disney movie, all right? Coming of age of every little princess is where she decides what is right and wrong for her. I'm not going to sing the Elsa song again. So the Genesis story is that this defining good and evil on our own terms, eating from the, knowledge, from the tree of knowledge um, uh, of good and evil, it leads to destruction, we are eating from the wrong trees. And over and over we see the same theme playing out in the, in the Bible. It's that instead of going to God, instead of ingesting life, it seems like as soon as we put ourselves in the center, as soon as we decide what is right and wrong, it just leads to destruction. And the question is, 
how do we get back? How do we get back to the tree of life? Because as a matter of fact, there are these another strange creatures. Right? Remember, the Bible is so strange. These cherubim, these winged creatures guarding the entrance to the, to the tree of life. And one of the ways in which Jesus, or at least God, systematically brings us back to the tree of life, he wants to bring us back into that community, is he sets up, he establishes a bunch of meals and feasts and festivals. To this day, if you, if you go to Israel, then the one thing that you notice about the Jews is that they are, even the secular ones, super passionate about their feasts, super passionate about uh, whether it's the, the Feast of Light, whether it's the, um, the, the Passover feast, the um, uh, Feast of Huts. I mean, you, you guys can, can just name them. These things were all established to s- form the, 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 the Israelites into a community that praises, that give thanks, that remembers, and that repent. So, so, so somehow, these feasts turns Israel into a grateful, believing, trusting community who shares in the goodness and life of God. And these meals, and, and, and this is going to just be a little bit technical, but just bear with me. These meals are also supposed to remind Israel of the covenant. You see, One of the things that these festivals do is they remind Israel that you guys are different. You guys are set apart. You guys are are called for something very specific. And and we see something of this covenant that is mentioned um, in Exodus 19 verses verses 3 to to 9. Let me just find that real quick. Exodus 19 from verse 3 to 9. So, so God has just delivered Israel. He's talking to them at the foot of Mount Sinai, and he says this, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So there you can see that God is establishing this covenant with the people of Israel. This is in Exodus 19. And he's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land, everything. I'm, 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 but, but what you need to do is you need to uphold your side of the covenant. If you abide in me, then we are going to, to be this holy nation. You guys will be this priestly um, kingdom, etc., etc. So that's what they are called to do, and it goes well for a while, and then unfortunately, they fail. They break the covenant. The covenant says that I will be your God if you will be my people, but mankind, again, just choose not to be his people. They, they eat from the wrong trees. They eat the wrong fruit. They go after other gods. They consistently run after these, these, these false trees where they define right and wrong for themselves, and they re- re- reject God's invitation to symbolically eat from, from him, from the tree of life. And we can see the same Genesis pattern throughout the Old Testament. What happens in Genesis when they eat from the wrong tree? Exile, out of the garden. What happens later on when they eat from the wrong tree? Exile, Babylon. Before that, exile, Assyria. Before that, um, as a matter of fact, the, 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 the time frame in which Jesus is preaching to them, it is again, to a certain extent, exile, Rome. So that pattern just com- continues to repeat itself over and over again. But despite this, 
the prophet's dream. They, they realize that Israel is failing over and over again, but they are dreaming. And we read two fascinating parts that I just quickly want to reference. The one is from Jeremiah 31. And as much as we are talking about covenants, just, just listen to this very famous passage. Jeremiah 31. Guys, I, I know that I'm, I'm covering a lot of scripture and I'm doing it in a little vignette. Are you guys still with me, at the very least? So in Jeremiah 31, from verse 31, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which we just read from, uh, what was it, Exodus 19. Uh, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their inequity and I will remember their sin no more. Very famous prophetic vision from Jeremiah, longing for the day when God is going to establish a new covenant with his, with his people. And then Isaiah sees something, else, sees something similar. And this comes from Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 8. This is, again, amidst the constant exile um, a repetition that's happening throughout uh, the, the, the life of, of, of the Hebrew Bible. We, we read this in Isaiah 25 from verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So what's happening here? Without going into too much detail, these prophets are longing for a future covenant, but they are also longing for a, for a, a feast on this mountain where, where all nations are gathered. That is, that is the ultimate, this ultimate feast where, 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 where God will somehow draw to this mountain, which when you hear mountain in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it almost always refers to the Temple Mount, which is the center of the, 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 the Jewish political, religious, and social life, okay? So one day in the future, there will be a banquet and God will, will wipe away all these tears. Death will be no more. All the nations will come, and there will be rich food, and there will be a feast of well-aged wine. There will be a proper... We, we, we will eat from the tree of life, so to speak. That is, the, that is the hope. And then enters Jesus. And he, he makes startling claims and people really struggle to understand what he's saying. And I want to I read quite a lengthy piece of, 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 of scripture, but I, I think you guys are going to be okay. Um, this, is, this is from John 6, all right? Do you guys have the background? 
We ate in the Garden of Eden. We ate from the tree of life. God is consistently trying to woo us back through meals to, to, to get the divine life in us. Um, but it's constantly us defining good and evil on our own terms. We move away from God, and eventually, and it always leads to exile. And, uh, and these prophets are, are longing for the day uh, when, when this great feast will be restored. And you will have that shalom. You will have that harmony. So enters Jesus, and we read this in John 6 from verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain. Mountain is always significant. This is, this is not the Temple Mount, but I, I think it is, um, it is deliberately ambiguous. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now that detail is given to us, and it's, 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 a, it's a loud um, um, hint in our ears. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And what Jesus does in the subsequent passages is he feeds the multitude on the mountain. All right, he, um, you guys all know the story with the loaves and the fish, and then it was a miracle, and people are, people are super excited about this. And then they're trying to follow Jesus because it's a pretty cool miracle, and now they want to, want to talk to him again. And eventually they trap him um, in, in Capernaum, and they have this conversation, and this is from verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Remember, they ate the, 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 the loaves from the miracle, but now they are still um, hungry. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do what, what we may, that, that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I, said, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. I hope as we are reading, you guys have a picture of the tree of life in the back of your head. Jesus is tapping into this very deep ancient story, but just look at how it continues. So the Jews grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does... He now say, I have come down from heaven. Jesus answered to them, do not grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has, has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who comes from, 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 from God, the bread of life. You see, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give up his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. It's pretty intense stuff, right? It's pretty vivid. So it's obvious that, that these people are, are quite perplexed. The Jews are just, they just had enough because the idea of, of cannibalism is, is bizarre, not just in our society today. As a matter of fact, one of the early Roman polemics against Christianity is that, no, they're a bunch of cannibals. Um, how can we trust these guys? They, they eat humans. Um, they eat their followers. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre. But Jesus is not letting up. He is just being very vivid about this that he is the bread of life and that you need, to, you need to feast on him, that you must drink his blood and eat his flesh. As a matter of fact, if we kept on reading, then you will notice in the very next passage, it says, and a lot of disciples deserted him. <laughs> because it's weird. Um, he's saying things that is just totally bizarre. And for some, it was just enough. So they said, no, we, we, we're going. But can you see, with the picture that I tried to paint in the beginning, what Jesus is trying to say? Can you try, can you begin to fit the puzzle in terms of what is going on? Jesus is saying, and I know this, as strange as it sounds, this is what, what, the, um, what the Bible authors are, are trying to tell us, is that this is the tree of life. This is the divine life in our midst. The thing that we lost in the Garden of Eden has now come to us in a way that we never expected it. And this is absolutely amazing. And he introduces a meal as well. And he says that, that I am, th this is my, my body given to you. This is my blood that you must, um, that, that symbolizes the new covenant that we have made. Now you can see how all of these things start to, start to come together. Now here's the thing, friends. Probably the highlight of all of this, and, and you must imagine a guy like Paul who was perplexed by this and he starts to figure it out and he, he fits the puzzle and he realizes when he sees Jesus on the cross then he realizes, oh my goodness, that is the tree of life. As a matter of fact, many, a couple of the gospels talk about and he was hung on a tree. Can you see what the Bible is trying to tell us? This is the new tree of life. What did that tree of life just tell his disciples before his death? He said, come, eat from me. 
Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now friends, that can mean so much. And I know it is obscure and it is strange and all of these things. But what it means at the very least is that at the heart of reality, at the center of the universe, is a God who gives himself completely to us. He is desperate to regain intimate fellowship with mankind. He dies for his enemies. He loves his enemies. He ransoms us from evil. He, he accompanies us on this new exodus, and the list goes on. What his death on the cross means is it's all of these things and more. But somehow, when we come to the table and we break the bread and we take the cup, then somehow, and we reflect on this, this, this wonderful reality, the divine life just starts to take shape in our lives. Systematically, it starts to dwell in us. But, and Paul talks about this later, if we want to do that, if we want to come to the tree of life and we want to feast, then there's something that is unfortunately going to happen, and that is that you also have to go through death. All right? I know it's a bit of a bummer, and it's in the fine print, but you also have to go through death. Your old self must die, and the new, new self must be resurrected with Jesus. And, 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 and that is what happens when you... You, you, you leave this old self behind, you, uh, you, you die to that self, and there's this new divine life that systematically starts to dwell in us as we, as we eat from the tree of life. I told you guys that the Bible starts with a meal in Genesis 2. And the Bible ends with a meal. And I want you to just listen to these passages and just see how all these themes come together. In, in Revelations 19, verse 9, it says, um, sorry, I can't see that well. Uh, 19, verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are super excited. That is our future. One day there will be this large marriage, this, this banquet in heaven. It is the banquet of the Lamb. And then we read in Revelations, in Revelations 22, 22, we read this uh, startling few lines. It says this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And just before that, it says this. This is now in, 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 in his kingdom, through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, with its, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So what is our future? Our future is feasting on the tree of life. Can you see that what, what John saw in Revelations is just this future glimpse of, of one day there will be this ultimate feast where we will again have access to the tree of life, where the divine life will well and truly live within us. And that is just such a wonderful and exciting prospect. So you see, when we, when we go to the Lord's Supper, 
then we typically quote the line that says we must do this in remembrance of Jesus, and that's true. But it doesn't stop there. We remember the, the, the meal, we remember the Last Supper, absolutely. But we also remember the coming meal, the fact that this whole story started with a meal and it ends with a, with a meal. And that is why my hope is when we, when we come to the table and when we take communion, that we, that we will just understand that whatever this is, it is, it is not simple, it is not superficial, it is deeply, deeply rich. It is so layered, and it is our access somehow to the, to the divine life, to the tree of life itself. I want us to, to now approach the table, and, um, and when, when Jesus uh, introduced it, we read this in Matthew 25. I'm going to read this, this little uh, this paragraph, and I want you just to think of it in light of, of what we just said, in light of the grand narrative. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, and I'm going to do it here, take it, eat this, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, drink all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in, the, in my Father's kingdom. Can you see how all the lines just come together at this particular place. The covenant that we spoke about in Jeremiah 21. One day there will be a new covenant. One day things will change. And this is what Matthew is saying. This is that moment. This is the new covenant. Jesus is starting. And that Jeremiah um, passage was also excited that one day there will be a new covenant. There will be a forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, this is it. Do you understand why Paul and Peter and all of his early followers who were so perplexed by all of this, why eventually they turned into this fearless organization, so much so that here we are at the southern tip of Africa also talking about it. Why did they face death for this? Because they were, their hearts were just jumping inside of them when they realized that this is what they've always hoped for. This is, Jesus is the Jewish hope. And one day we will have this future banquet and everything makes sense. It just fits into this story wonderfully well. And that means that whatever I have to endure now is nothing in comparison with the feast that I will one day experience. That is why those guys were fearless, why they were so excited. As a matter of fact, when Paul bemoans the fact that people aren't, aren't excited about the gospel message is because he sees all of these lines. His heart is melting inside of him. It is on fire. And he's not seeing people drawing the lines, connecting the thread. Jesus is the tree of life. And when we, when we come to the communion table, when we practice the Eucharist, 
then symbolically we are taking in that tree of life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by the fact that that, that you are a God that just refused to give up. We are humbled by the fact that even though we consistently exile ourselves, even though we consistently define reality on our own terms, you, you are the God who, who just pursues us. And you pursue us bizarrely through meals. <laughs> and somehow you form us through that systematically. And Lord, the climax of that just reaching itself on the cross, where that cross in an absolutely bizarre and unexpected twist is the new tree of life, and you invite us to come and feast on you and just, just, just take in this new life. But that also means, Lord, that this old life must die. We pray, Lord, that we will feast on you and that your life will will come into us and will ultimately defeat whatever is in us that is not of you. We pray that we can live out your life, a life that is radically committed to the poor, that is selfless, that is a love of enemies, that is a life free of anxiety because we are so focused on other people that we don't have time to think of ourselves. A life that is, just, that is just free because it is in service of you and of others. We pray for that life, Lord, to come and live within us as individuals and as a community. And Lord, we long for that future feast where everyone will come. It's the it's the Lamb's Supper. And there you will be on your throne and people from all nations will gather there and, and you will wipe away all the tears. What a wonderful, wonderful prospect that is, Lord. When we struggle, may that vision strengthen us. When we, when we backslide, may you on the cross, the tree of life in our midst, May that strengthen us and rejuvenate us yet again. Lord Jesus, as we approach your table, as we break the bread and we take the cup, I pray that we will be able to understand something of this wonderful mystery that is your cross. In Jesus' name, amen.